Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you want? I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to one field and we'll see them. What are you doing down here, you shawny man? You're very welcome along to today's Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast. We have the World Cup quarterfinals coming up tomorrow, that's Friday, and Saturday. This is absolutely amazing. Maybe FIFA had a point with these rest days. Maybe Mm. they were right to ignore my suggestion to keep all teams eliminated over there to continue to play random matches until, the, you know, just to fill in the hours of rest. Maybe have a point because now I'm, I'm like, a, like a starved dog, Murph. Mm, you are. You're a lot like a starved dog. What <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful image. You look very excited. Uh, well, I am uh, because hunger is the best sauce, they say. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, like yourself, have been starved of top-class footballing action for the last 36 hours or so. And... Uh, now there appears before us the vista of France against Germany uh, at, at 5 o'clock on Friday, followed by Brazil and Colombia, which I think has an excellent chance of being the greatest sporting event to ever to, to, to have ever happened on this planet. Right, yeah. It's good that you're not given to hyperbole at all. No, that's, that's not me. That's not the kind of guy <laughs> I am. Uh, but Brazil-Colombia at 9 o'clock in Fortaleza on Friday night could just be... Why do you think it's going to be so amazing? Well, because Colombia have a really, really excellent chance of winning this game. And if, you know, Chile had an excellent chance of winning their game and Brazil didn't really seem to react all that well to the possibility of them perhaps going out of this World Cup. Uh, they had a complete mental breakdown, if we're to be honest. Um, and that was a lot of fun to watch. It was a lot of fun all the way through to the end of the penalty shootout. Um, and we've already discussed the sort of emotional high dudgeon that they got up to. So I think, um, I, th- I mean, Argent- like Saturday... You know, Argentina Belgium, Belgium is a pretty good game. The Netherlands Costa Rica just to finish it off is a little bit. It's a little bit of a downbeat. You know, like that's the worst game by a mile. Why finish on that? Yeah. You know, you should leave them wanting more. That's just a pity. It's a pity for me, Owen. That's just that's. <laughs> but I mean, I will. I do have to, you know, uh, console myself with the fact that we we are going to have three amazing games. Yeah, maybe the fourth one will be half decent as well. Let's get straight over to Brazil. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. Player in the world. Iniesta, to the Iniesta! 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 I
Ben Ernie, how are you? I'm great, Owen. How are you? How are you, Kieran? Hey, Kenny. Hey, big guy. We, we, we were worried about you yesterday. It's good to hear you sounding hale and hearty. Look, I'm really sorry about yesterday. So, I was on a bus. I mean, uh, I was in Sao Paulo yesterday. And um, I, so I was getting the bus, you know, because economy is my middle name. <laughs> and uh, it, was the, it, it was after the, it was after the, you know, so the bus leaves Sao Paulo at um, half past 11. Well, I say economy is my middle name, but I was an hour before I got this bus eating a galleon of sushi in when I say a galleon, I mean that the sushi came served on a galleon. I mean, they brought out this enormous four-foot wooden galleon <laughs> and put it on the table. And all the little pieces of sushi and sashimi were like, I suppose, pirates uh, sitting in, in various locations on this, uh, on this gigantic uh, vessel. I mean, it, was a, it wasn't just for me. It was, a, it was a, one of those things you reorder and everybody sort of... Everybody sort of competes to see how much they can guzzle before it's all gone, you know. Um, but anyway, after that, I I, um, I made my way to the humble uh, bus station, uh, where where I boarded a presidential class bus. Um, the, the there's a lot of different kinds of buses in in Brazil. People use buses a lot to travel around uh, between the cities. So I boarded the Leto bus, which is top of the line, top of the line sleeper. Uh, you get on there, and it's like. Um, I suppose it's what it feels like to be a Premier League footballer on a really short um, away trip. Uh, you get on this coach, uh, you get into this, uh, you know, seat which reclines pretty much all the way back. Oh, the seats are designed so that everyone can pretty much recline all the way back uh, without having their legs uh, squished. Uh, they give you some crackers and a blanket, and uh, and off you nod. So I was expecting to wake up in Rio uh, when they arrived there at um, uh, you know half past four. Um, instead of which, I woke up uh, and sort of, you know, just, you know, in that sort of semi-awake state, I sort of noticed that, hmm, seems, still seems to be on this bus. Seems to be bright outside. I don't really understand what's going on here at all. Uh, and I sort of peeked out the window and saw myself in, the, in this uh, uh, countryside, this Brazilian countryside, which is pretty spectacular, you know, uh, Mountains shrouded in mist, uh, you know, valleys covered in uh, exotic vegetation. And uh, on the other side of the valley, um, the side of a stationary trucks, bumper to bumper, uh, winding all the way around the mountain. And I thought to myself, what's going on? So I kind of looked around and uh, managed to gather from my fellow passengers that we'd been sitting there for hours, uh, during which I'd been, I'd been sleeping peacefully. And, and that was the, the great thing about this whole thing. I did manage to get a really solid uh, eight hours or so of sleep uh, on that bus. And in fact, a little bit more, which I'll tell you now. But we all, everyone was just standing around on the road. It turned out that up the road, a couple of trucks had had some kind of an accident. Uh, and whatever way that it had worked out, they'd, they'd blocked the road. Uh, and they obviously had to be removed. But since we were about 100 kilometers from Rio... This, uh, I think, bringing the kind of machinery that was required to actually move them took quite a while. So everyone was this. This tailback went for I don't know how many miles. I mean, it's, it's it was it was blocking the main Rio Sao Paulo road. Um, so everybody just had to wait uh, until this thing was cleared out of there, um, which eventually, uh, I guess, it was. I managed to sleep. Oh, and you'll be glad to hear another hour or two ah. um, on the way uh, on the way from that location to Rio. 
and uh, and I feel I feel absolutely tipped up now as a result. I think I really needed uh, the rest. So I'm sorry that I wasn't able to to be with you yesterday, Alan. But let's talk about all. The day before yesterday's news, today. <laughs> Let's do that today, Ken. That's what modern media is all about, surely. Now, you were there. You were in Sao Paulo to see Messi and co. get past a, eventually get past a fairly dogged Swiss challenge. Your reflections on the news of two days ago? Yeah, I, I, I really wasn't that impressed with Argentina, but if Lionel Messi's going to keep doing what he did in that game in the last couple of minutes then this is going to be a very, very difficult team to stop. He gives the impression that he's always able to do this. Um, at, some po- at some point in the last couple of minutes, if it's necessary, he will change the scoreline. Uh, he will either score or he will set up a goal. And the other team knows this. It kind of creates a, a, a sort of a, a fear factor. you know. And it gives Argentina, I suppose, a great deal of confidence. Confidence which they desperately need because otherwise they look like a are really uh, quite a hysterical bunch. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was a really interesting game um, to watch um, just because, okay, Argentina are clearly the technically, supposedly the better side, and yet it even didn't really look like that for most of it. It's just all they were doing was giving the ball to Lionel Messi. There was an amazing quote after the match from Pablo Zabaleta, um, who, remember, is, is, is an old friend of Messi, a guy who was on the youth teams with him, who knows him for many, many years. Uh, he used to hang out with him when they both, both lived in Barcelona. Uh, and knows him pretty well, better than most people in the game, I'd say, would know Messi. So just listen to his, what he's saying. We know he's our main player, our captain, the best player in the world. This team is playing for him, as we know how important Messi is for the team. We are so lucky to have Messi in Argentina. It's what we expect from him always, that the best player in the world will make the difference in every game. Every time we recover the ball, we try to pass to him, as he is the best player we have in the team, and he will score goals. Okay, now, all of that is, is true on one level, but on the other hand, it's, it's almost, it seems to me almost a bit too reverential of a, of a, of a guy who is, after all, only one man out of 11. Um, Otmar Hitzfeld was saying after the game that his, basically his, his instructions to his team were three or four men around Messi, watching Messi at all times. Three or four. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never heard of, 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 of that before, you know, of, of that many players. But maybe part of it was that Hitzfeld had calculated all these Argentina players are thinking of is Messi too. That's the only part of the pitch that they can see is the bit that he's in. And if we are blocking him off, then... They won't have any other ideas because they're not going to try anything else. And that's really what it was like. I mean, and, and watching Messi himself is, was, was so interesting because he, all he does is just walk around. You're thinking, how, how is it possible that this guy can just stroll through a game? Literally, I mean, I mean literally stroll through a game. He barely ever runs. I mean, I tweeted something at, at the end of full time, which was uh, the, right, the end of normal time, I should say, which was that Messi had run... 9.05 kilometers, which was less than any any other outfield player who had been on the pitch from the beginning. That is, obviously, substitutes and maybe run a bit less. Uh, but, you know, every other outfield player had run at least 10, some of them a lot more than that. And Messi, who had been by far the most influential player in the team, on, on either side, in the game, had had run far less than anyone else. So as soon as I put that up, every you know, I got loads of people saying, "Oh, what are you saying? What are you? What are you, what are you saying? What are you saying?" <laughs> you know, I was just saying what I was saying, which was that he's not running a lot. I think it's quite interesting that 
he can dominate a game without appearing, without doing that. Now, there are a couple of things about it. Number one, what I was just saying in the previous point was that he was the player Argentina were looking for when they had the ball. But, of course, he was also being marked you know, pretty tightly by the Swiss. And then there's the fact that poor old Gonzalo Higuain uh, is very much finding out what it was like to be John Aldridge in the Jack Charlton team. You know what I mean? It's sort of... Messi gets the ball. It's almost like he's looking at Higuain and going, make me an angle. Make me an angle. What am I supposed to do with this? You know, you're standing in the wrong place. I'm, I'm, I'm going to need to see some shuttle runs. And Higuain was just rolling himself into the ground and barely touching the ball uh, so that on the couple of occasions when he did have a chance, he, was just, he just sort of swiped his head at it in complete exhaustion and, um, and wasn't really able to, uh, I think, show the clinical side that... We all know he's got. I mean, I just—I don't know. I wouldn't be—I wouldn't be so convinced about Argentina at all. Yeah, well, but Di Maria was running like a lunatic be, beside Messi, and he still had the coolness to slot home a nice finish at the end. Well, Di Maria, um, Di Maria does run a lot. I think after Higuain, he may have been, or maybe maybe one of the fullbacks also ran a bit more. But but Higuain was doing a lot of running, a lot of sprinting, and a lot of shooting. Because the goal that he scored was his eleventh shot of the match, um, I, I, he ended up he ended up with twelve. The last one was a was an effort from from around halfway, I think. But um, yeah, he 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 he's really the decides on the other outlet. He's the only other guy maybe who has I don't know whether you'd call it the the huevos. In other words, South Americans kind of make a fetish of eggs. 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 Yeah. Eggs! Tevez has eggs! He's a fighter! Tevez! He has eggs! Uh, Tevez's eggs weren't... You know what I'm talking about, Yeah, I think I get you, In fact, it's not just just confined to South America. Germans say uh, egg as well. It seems to be us in the English-speaking countries who haven't realized the similarity of the testicle to the egg. Um, We just don't use that comparison... In, at all, I've never heard anyone in English use it, but apparently all over the rest of the world, that's what they're that's what they're calling them. Di Maria, anyway, uh, certainly he he was still not playing his natural game. You don't see him doing. He was kind of doing what Ronaldo does in the Real Madrid team, take, taking shots, uh, shooting on sight. Um, but at least it was someone else there in that team who actually was playing like some version of themselves. It seems to me that the rest of the team was almost too much in awe. So that they were, they were. It was kind of like, oh, you know, we've got this sort of super, super player. Let's give him the ball at all times, and then just wait to see what happens. You know, come, on, Leo, save us, save us. You know, like they, like there was, like Argentina had ten extra fans on the field, or nine extra fans who were just sort of going, go, on, Leo, Leo. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was not really. A, I mean, I just, I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen in this Belgium game. What if Belgium get a corner? If Belgium get a corner, Argentina could be in trouble. I think Belgium will, at some point, get a corner kick in that Should game. we see, impress- see it as impressive, though, that Leo Messi is able to hold his discipline and actually not run around like a headless chicken? And looking ahead to the game against Belgium, that if they're in a key period of a goal to extra time, Messi will actually, even though he knows, he's fully aware that everything relies upon him. And that would make... I think Neymar maybe has been doing a bit too much running around. I think he might pay for that at some stage of the competition where it was Messi's, right, I have to conserve my energy. That's actually the best thing for the team. Okay, it so happens that it makes me the hero because I can go and score all the goals. But maybe this is a, there's a discipline in actually not running. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 mean, I don't mean to criticise Messi. What I'm, what I, what I'm 
what I'm saying here is that I find it really uh, amazing that he can be so decisive while appearing to do so little. Yeah. I mean, it's it's this is you know this we're talking about efficiency. We've never seen anything like this before. And you're right that Neymar is running a lot more. I mean, Neymar against Chile, three kilometers more than Messi. Um, did nearly twice as many sprints as Messi did. I mean, th- this is the thing. This is something that people would say after I after I made that tweet that Messi had run less. It seemed like loads of people were saying, "Well, what are you saying, Messi? No, I'm good. What are you, are you saying? He's are you saying he's lazy? Are you saying he's no good?" And then the thing that they would they would make this point. Why, why were a lot of WWE wrestlers tweeting you again? It's incredible. <laughs> well, just I don't know. Just that, that, I mean, you can't really tell what people's voices are like when you just see, see their tweets. But that just sounded like the tone of it to me. You know, maybe I was in in turn being a bit too defensive. I was I was felt like, as though I was under attack. Um, but uh, but the point, you know, hey, he's sprinting. What about all the sprints he does? And then someone made the point that Gary Neville Gary Neville said made a comparison between Torres and Suarez, and he showed that Torres had run more, but Suarez's runs were all sprints. You know, so what about that? Um, but you see, he's not sprinting either. At least not. not. Uh, the only player in the game, that, again, when I'm talking here about players who played the full match, there were some players who went off early. Even some of them ran more than him, you know what I mean? Uh, some players went off early and some players who came on. Um but the only player who sprinted less than him, and I'm not talking about goalkeepers here, because hopefully they don't have to sprint that much unless they're, you Except know, Neuer, more. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was was Fernandez, the Argentina centre back. Uh, Fabian Scher had 31 sprints as well, the same as Messi. So he's not even sort of doing high intensity. You know, they they break it down into low, medium, and high intensity activity. FIFA FIFA give you all this data, and um, and Messi's got lower figures than anyone. He he literally does not. Bother to move, but you know, compare him to Neymar, compare him to uh, Thomas Müller uh, for Germany, both of whom, in the you know, in the in the classic parlance, worked their socks off. They absolutely worked their socks off. Did they have the same impact on the games that they were playing in as Messi? No. I mean, Neymar, you could you barely would have known he was on the field. He was out there. He was working himself to the bone. He was running and running and running, and he wasn't able to really get in the game. Whereas Messi was walking around picking up the ball in space, doing something good with it, you know, repeating the trick. Not really, it's, it's, it's a really impressive thing that he's able to do. I mean, he, he, I wondered as well, is he actually fully fit? Is it, you know, is that maybe, does that maybe have something to do with it, that he's pacing himself a little bit? But I think he is, because if he wasn't fully fit, I don't see how he would have been able to produce his fastest run of the match in the 118th minute, which is what he did for the goal. That was the fastest he moved in the whole match. So, um, yeah, what I'm saying, I suppose, Owen, is that Lionel Messi is pretty good. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Brazil against. It does boil down to that, Ken. Let's talk about Brazil against Colombia. Tim Vickery is ready to chat about this. Tim, how you enjoy? Well, we spoke to you before the tournament, and I know you were really looking forward to it. But uh, you, you had you had an inkling you mightn't mind a day off at some point in 2014. You've been pretty busy with BBC and talking to the likes of us and doing a hell of a lot of work over there. How are you enjoying it so far? How are you holding up? Uh, a, a little bit bleary-eyed, I think, like the uh, like the flame-haired flamethrower of truth, Mr. Ken Early. Um, but we're ten days or so away from the finish line now, and uh, you know you're waiting for that final kick of adrenaline to get in there and help us over the line. It's been great so far, and um, I met um, a local journalist mate of mine in the street the other day, and we kind of compared notes, and we said, number one, we're very very tired, but number two, we don't want this to ever end because it's so great. So uh, I, th- I think everyone's kind of feeling feeling the same way. Um, it's, it's been so good 
please, can we have more of it? And an alarming statistic for half of the stadiums, six of the 12 host stadiums, it's already all over. Nearly the, the elephants has packed a trunk and said goodbye to the circus for six of those host cities. So uh, they're already living with the World Cup anticlimax that the rest of us will be living with in about 10 days' time. Yeah, fortunately for the tournament, a lot of the teams that made it through the last 16 were South American and it certainly had a distinct flavour, if that's the right word to use here. At this point in time, are, you, are we looking at a Brazil-Argentina final or are one of these... Is it going to be whoever comes through Holland, Germany, for example, who might come along to spoil the party? Well, I've always said with, with not, not uh, a lot of flair and imagination that I was expecting a Brazil-Argentina final, so I'm going to stick to my guns. But uh, it's so open, isn't it? And that, that, that's the fascinating thing of it. Um, added to the fact that we've got the eight group winners, we've got the quality in, um, which means that and I think the quarterfinals are magnificently set up because we've, we've said goodbye to most of the spoilers you know, Switzerland, for example, I was in the stadium for the Switzerland-Argentina game. Yeah, great plucky performance, but they didn't want to cross the halfway line too many times. And they were trying to spawn a result if they could. We've said goodbye to most of those, of the, of those teams. So uh, if you look at the, at the eight teams that were left, well, you know, bar Costa Rica, you think the other seven will think they can win it. And and that really makes, I think, for, for a fan. And, and even Costa Rica might be thinking that they can take advantage of, uh, of the fact that, that Holland had to chase a game played in the insane conditions of a, of a one o'clock kickoff local time in Fortaleza. So maybe Costa Rica will, th- will be thinking we can get into, into the semifinals as well. And it really makes for a fabulously open and, uh, and, and a wonderful set of quarterfinals because y- you can't see too many games there where one side is going to shut up shop and park the bus. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think we're going to see the best sides having a go at each other, which will really set the seal on, on, what it, on the pitch. has been a fantastic tournament. The only game maybe where you could see that pattern might be Brazil against Colombia, Tim. I mean, they, they seem to be a little bit worried about the way that the team is shrinking into the tournament and arriving at the quarterfinal sort of a pint-sized team. Are they planning to, I mean, you hear that they're, they're planning to make a couple of big changes, that maybe Danny Alves isn't going to be in there, that, that Fred isn't going to be in there. What do you think they're going to do? Well, they've had a look at a number of tactical options, which in itself is, a, I suppose, a, uh, an illustration of, of a certain bit of panic there. And it's the game that they really didn't want to be without Luis Gustavo for, Luis Gustavo, the holding midfielder, when he came into the team. Last June, it was the moment when the pieces start to, started to fit together. They stopped conceding goals in a space in, in, in front of the centre-back. Uh, and uh, whoever comes in for him will have to deal with the player of the tournament so far, Hamis Rodriguez. Although you might think that, you know, at the age of 22, coming up 23, Hamis is probably due a bad day. But uh, uh, and for Brazil, for a Scolari Brazil, to just have a look in a training session at, at, at a formation when they didn't play a centre-forward, that's an extraordinary change. And it was the first thing he did when he came back. We are playing with a number nine centre forward. And they have for every minute of every game since then. Um, so it, it is going to be absolutely fascinating to see what they do. And I expect just a straight drop with, with, with uh, Paulinho coming in for, for Luis Gustavo. And the rest maybe will stay much, much as it has been. Um, Daniel Alves has become a rather strange fullback in Brazilian terms. Because they love their attacking fullbacks, but he never goes outside. He never goes, gets to the byline anymore. He's always looking to come inside, as he can with, uh, with, with Barcelona. Uh, Maicon will keep the pitch big, 
um, on the outside, and also they think he's a little bit better defensively. Although you know, you you have to wonder, did they see him against Gareth Bale a few years ago? So maybe there is some clutching at straws going on in that in, in that Brazil camp. You know, they've uh, they've flown in their sports psychologist, Regina Brandão, who's worked extensively with the team over recent years. Um, she's going to be trying to get them mentally prepared because at the moment they're crying before the game, they're crying during the game, they're crying after the game. It's just a pity that she can't play in central midfield, isn't it? <laughs> Watching that penalty shootout, whatever, we've discussed the national anthem stuff uh, quite a bit on the show, Tim, and how maybe it's not the greatest idea in the world to be getting so head up at that stage. But even I was amazed in the Chile game before the penalty shootout when of all times the whole idea is to stay as calm as possible and the boys are all psyching themselves up. I know Julio Cesar says himself he can be an emotional guy, but it wasn't just him. They were all going around thumping chests and this kind of stuff. So it's interesting to hear that they had, they brought this sports psychologist in. Was that was she not with them all through the tournament? No, no. She, she'd worked with them. Uh, she, she's worked with Scolari for years and years and years. And she's uh, before the tournament, she's with them drawing up the psychological profiles um, which then allows Scolari to it gives Scolari a kind of bearing on how to deal with with, with, each, with each of the players on an individual basis. Um, the fact that they've hurried her into the camp is uh, is an il- illustration, I think, of, of the fact that they think it's got a little bit too much. You know, and there was a situation there where Thiago Silva um, wouldn't take the penalty, and he was he was supposed to be one of the five. He's the team captain. And it was all too much for him. The whole thing was, was was too much for him. He was just an absolute wreck at the end of that 120 minutes. So, and and and, and part of this is, I think part of uh, Scolari's approach is backfiring a little bit. I and mean, he's a very emotive figure. You see him on the touchline, and, and I thought he also uh, against Chile had an absolutely terrible game, absolutely appalling game from a coach's point of view. He was he spent the whole game too het up, and a het up side usually means a het up coach usually means a het up team. <laughs> The, the, the substitution bringing on Hamires was uh, it's it's incons- what on earth was he thinking of? Um, you know, in 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 a, in a team where you have a complete separation between your defensive unit and your your, your attacking unit, you've got to link it somehow. Hamires is is the last option who can do it because he's not a passer of the ball. It was a bizarre substitution, uh, and uh, another thing which I think is backfiring is the confidence and the swagger with which they came into the tournament. And when they met up on May the twenty sixth. You know, Scolari has been saying all along, we're going to win. Uh, and uh, Carlos Alberto Pajero, a World Cup winning coach himself, who's uh, on, on the coaching staff now, he's uh, Scolari's technical coordinator. He said on May the 26th, we, ha- we already have one hand on the World Cup. Well, the problem was there was a tournament to play. And uh, it, it seems to me as if uh, Brazil's players, based on, 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 on beating Spain in the final of the Confederations Cup, had not been psychologically prepared for the difficulties that they, would, they were going to face in this tournament. And, and uh, when they've come up against those, those uh, difficulties for which they hadn't been prepared, the emotional side has, uh, has struggled. Are Colombia the type of team that can exploit that? Because footballing-wise, they've played possibly the best of the tournament and have maybe the best player, certainly the breakout star of the tournament. Mentally speaking, will Colombia be, and even say compared to Chile, will they be worse or better prepared to take advantage of their opportunity? Big question, and obviously it's one that will have a huge bearing on the game. Um, it, it's a worry, I think, because uh, in tradition plays very, very big in these parts. Uh, Colombia, a side who've won the Copa America, the, the South American Championship, once on home ground in 2001, when Argentina didn't go and Brazil sent an understrength side. 
For Colombia in their first World Cup quarterfinal to eliminate Brazil in Brazil will be by far the biggest achievement of the Colombian national team so far. So there, there is that kind of when you, you come up against Brazil uh, for a South American side, other than Argentina or Uruguay, there is this huge psychological hurdle. You know, the, the monster looks very, very big indeed. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they react to that. Um, also, in, in, in technical terms, remember that Colombia haven't had to chase a game yet. Uh, and uh, that's always, I think, the true te- the test of a team. How does a team react psychologically and technically when it goes behind? And, and Colombia, they have their captain, Mario Yepes, 38-year-old centre-back. He's been a fine player, but he's, he's lost his pace. And it means that uh, that defensive line from Colombia is very, very deep. Very deep indeed. The pitch is, is, is huge there with Colombia. It's one of the reasons I think they've almost benefited in a way from the absence of, of Radamel Falcão Garcia. Because with him, um, his uh, back-to-goal link play is not very good. They couldn't play him up front on his own. Um, Peckerman always wanted to play a five-man midfield, I think. Once, uh, once with Falcão Garcia out, it's made it easier to, to pack the midfield. And that midfield needs some packing because the, the, the pitch is so big. There's so much space there. But that, uh, that, that deep-lying defence, I think it has a number of implications. Number one is that there, there could well be space for Neymar to pick up the ball and run at the defensive line. Number two, Brazil are very direct. You know, they bypass midfield altogether. They will get the ball forward quickly, those sweeping diagonal passes from the centre-backs, uh, and they'll, they'll try and, uh, and put Yepes under pressure very, very quickly. And number three, should Colombia go behind and have to come and chase the game, surely the lack of pace of Yepes there will be exposed and Brazil will be able to launch the counter-attack. So I would still, given the, even given the fact that Colombia, I think, have been perhaps the most attractive side to watch so far and really have a chance, not only with James Rodriguez, but with Cuadrado. Cuadrado running at uh, Brazil's attacking-minded left-back Marcelo. That's going to be another key duel. But even with these Colombian tools, I think Brazil are still narrow favourites. Another team, team that hasn't yet been faced with the challenge of having to chase a game is Argentina. You mentioned you went to see them yesterday. Um, they weren't really that impressive, were they? I mean, if they, they, uh, it seemed to me as though, I mean, while what Lionel Messi is doing is, is, is awesome, that's a lot of the, 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 the people who are, are in awe of what he's doing include most of his own teammates. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, the two games against Switzerland, I think, are illustrative. They played Switzerland in, in February 2012 in Bern, uh, and it was a 3-1 win for Argentina. Messi scored all three. It's the, kind of, the start of his rise when he started um, being able to pre- reproduce his best club form for his country. Uh, his partner up front that day was, was Aguero. And the two of them, it's probably the best game they've ever played together, I think. The two of them were just unstoppable. They have a wonderful off-the-field relationship, and you see it on the field as well. They're exchanging passes at speed and at angles, and it was dazzling to watch. Aguero in this competition has, has never been, been fit. Um, there's a slight possibility that he might be on the bench for, for the, the, the Belgian game, but I think it's, it's unlikely. And he's certainly not, not going to be 100%. And against Switzerland this time, you know, Messi and Higuain, well, they don't seem to have any relationship whatsoever. And Higuain is, is looking awful in this, in this tournament. And he had a couple of headers uh, against the Swiss, but you'd expect your centre-forward to get a couple of headers in on 120 minutes with the amount of crosses that Argentina were, were firing in. But he looks so sluggish and off the pace, and there's no relationship between him and Messi at all. Uh, and uh, that, that really undermines the team. And it, it's a team with, with a few ordinary players as well. And if you were Belgium, uh, and you know, after finding form, against the States, you know, where, where Belgium could have scored 10. 
you'd be thinking, let's get let's get Hazard running at at, at Fernandez, you know, because surely he's going to have some fun that way. Um, which I think it sets up the game beautifully, and it's a wonderful game for in, in historical terms as well because uh, of the Messi Maradona comparisons. You know that the, the semi final of '86. It's kind of overlooked, I think, because of what Maradona did uh, in, in the England game in the quarter final when he scored both in contrasting manners. Um, but the two goals he scored against Belgium include one, which I think is a is, is a def- defiance of gravity. There's a goal he scored. It's a it's a magnificent goal that, that Maradona scored against Belgium in '86. And uh, if if they're going to get through Belgium, you'd imagine that that Messi will have to um, once more come up with uh, with, with something similar. Now he, he's only really got Di Maria to to play with. I mean, uh, um, Mascherano and Gago give him the ball, but ahead, you know, it's. Uh, it, it, it's messy on his own with the occasional Messi-Di Maria combination. Uh, they'll have to replace the left-back now, Rojo, who, who hasn't had a bad tournament, I think. He's one of the more criticised players going into the tournament. But I don't think he's done too badly. And they don't really have a replacement who can push forward. It'll be Basantra, I think, who's, who's effectively a centre-back. So that, that's an, another uh, associate that, that, that Messi will have to lose for this game against Belgium. So I think he's going to have to do it himself with perhaps a little help from Di Maria. Tim, I just want to ask you, to ask you about the European teams because if Brazil are suffering a crisis of confidence and if Argentina maybe are still labouring somewhat, the supporters of those countries will presumably be reasonably reassured by the lack of any lack of any sort of certainty about some of the top European sides I see. I'm looking at FIFA.com here, the headline story. There's a nice picture of Andreas Bremer from the 1990 World Cup and he's saying Germany must improve 100% on the performance against Algeria if they're to, to beat France, um, which is a pretty pretty tall order to improve that much from game to game. Is there a sense among the South American teams that, well, we're not firing on all cylinders, but the European challenge is wilting a little bit here? Yeah, apart perhaps from France, who it was the easiest of the wins, wasn't it? Really, in the uh, don't you agree? In the I'd the, the say second so. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, France, Germany is also fascinating because we've got memories of the eighties, you know, the eighty two and the eighty six. The France campaign ends when it comes up against Germany, but I think then the French were a little bit in awe of the physicality of the Germans. But they've got no reason to be in awe anymore because, you know, since then, the, the French players have really, really bulked up and they might well go into this game at a, at a, at a physical advantage. I don't think there's any, any need whatsoever for France to, to go into this game fearing Germany. Um, so at the moment, I, I, make, I make France favourites for that one. And you, you kind of think that uh, that high line the, German play, the Germans play, can Mertesacker really play that line? And, and surely, because that high line, Manuel Neuer, he only has to get one decision slightly wrong. And it's either a goal for the opposition or a red card for him. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm making, at the, at the moment, I see the French as the leaders of the European challenge. Uh, Holland will the the question mark against Holland I think is how much did it take out of them playing in Fortaleza at one o'clock in the afternoon and it was a game where the conditions were just insane it was too hot for people to watch you know we were seeing banks of empty seats during much of the game because the the supporters were just looking for for shade and it's the kind of conditions when you really don't want to have to chase a game and that's exactly what Holland had to do you know with, with those two late goals how much has that taken out of them um, uh, uh, if, if, if it's taken, taken too much, then uh, I see France as European challengers number one. Tim Vickery, enjoy the quarterfinals and hang in there. A couple of weeks to go. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Thank you. Wow. Some inter- I'll, I'll come back to a couple of points Tim made, one in particular, but the, f- what was it? The, the flame-haired, flamethrower of truth. <laughs> is how he described it. It's quite hard to say, but of course, Tim, the consummate professional that he is, was able to handle it. Yeah. 
Well, I met you see, I met Tim in uh, in Fortaleza, and uh, I met him. I just met him in the media center. I hadn't arranged to meet him. I saw him, and uh, it was one of those encounters where obviously I know what he looks like um, because I've seen him on TV and whatnot. Um, but I don't know if he's ever seen, for instance, Second Captains Live or. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he hasn't been looking at the second captain's Facebook. Or tonight with Vincent Brand. <laughs> Maybe he didn't even see. <laughs> your, yeah. your, your stellar appearance tonight with Vincent Brand. There. No, we have to give Tim a nickname, Shorty, Tim Vickery, then. If he's, maybe Tim the Toolman Vickery. <laughs> <laughs> a, ga- a gag will only appeal to people of a certain... There's literally like an 18-month <laughs> spell. Of, if you're born in that 18 months, you know exactly who Tim the Toolman <laughs> Taylor? What a character. Yeah, that's yeah, the Tim one. Tim the Toolman Taylor, yeah. Ken. This, this is unbelievable, right? But just to go back to Tim, what Tim, Tim the Toolman was saying there. This, the amount of backroom staff, the amount of, I'm sure, political capital, the amount of everything that's gone into this Brazilian team being successful and winning this World Cup is staggering. And it's yet, still not as much as England. It's still not as much as England, but yet it's only after they almost fall apart in a penalty shootout that they think, we better bring a sports psychologist in here, chat to the lads. It's just, it's not yeah. so much, I don't know if that's an indictment of Brazil, but it's just... Uh, an indication that despite there being some movements forward in that area in football in the last few years, it's it's staggering to me that there isn't a full, at least one full-time person working on the mental side of the game besides the manager with these guys. Yeah, I mean, but, but I, I suppose the, the key there is besides the manager. I mean, I think Scolari would see that as his, his big uh, thing. I mean, that's what he's supposed to bring to this whole thing. The, the guy who goes around and just with that... Um, air of brawny masculine authority that he has just goes around slapping people on the back and making them feel like men, you know, men who are going to win the World Cup. And that's, you know, that's Scalari's whole shtick. You know, if he's not doing that, then what exactly is he doing? Because he, he apparently picked a team last year. He hasn't, um, he, he doesn't seem to have noticed any of the tactical developments of the last 10 years. Um, he's basically a guy who, you know, he, he just looks like a sort of a, a genial authority figure. He's, he, he exactly chimes with the South American archetype of the benign Caudillo. You know, <laughs> you know. Hopefully, he's not going to. Hopefully, he's not going to turn nasty on you because such such men sometimes can. But you know, I mean, you, you saw Scolari uh, after Brazil won that penalty shootout. Mm-hmm. He was he was almost the most hysterical man on the pitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like he was like um, you know. Uh, uh, he reminded me of a woman in, 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 who'd gone to you know, the fair or something and her children had got lost and they'd been missing for a couple of hours and she'd been reunited with them. And like, that, was, that was his, he, he, he was that emotional. It was like he was crying. He was clutching the players' heads to his, to his breast. Um, you know, he was going around doing, doing all this. And I mean, I didn't think he, he wasn't really spreading an air of steely calm. <laughs> no. It was just this absolute, like, uh, re- release of relief and oh thank god we're we're there you know he almost like he he needed the players to hold him so yeah hopefully he's he's managed to settle down a little bit um yeah. over the over the intervening days sorry to cut across again but i'm so excited to move on to the next quarterfinal the first quarterfinal france against germany you're going to be at this game can at the maracana this must be amazing for you yeah i'm looking forward to that um, although i was reading a book by david goldblatt uh, about um, football in Brazil, which he brought out for the World Cup, and he had some very scathing things to say about what they've done to the The desecration of a uh, of a world cultural treasure, I think he called it something like that. And apparently they've put in some perspex um, kind of uh, 
covers of various corporate boxes and stuff, and he didn't like it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see. Apparently, mm. the other journalists who were here said, yeah, the stadium's great. It's just a pity the games have all been so bad. Apparently, games in the American have all been terrible. <laughs> Everyone's in on these games are so terrible. I mean, it doesn't help when you've, when you've got teams like Russia, you know, playing there. Nobody likes no, nobody likes that. Um, but, you know, they did, I suppose, in the, in the most recent game. I, was the James Rodriguez game? See, I've started saying James Rodriguez. Yeah, it is James. Yeah. I mean, let's go with Hamas. Proper order here, Ken. Little Jimmy Rodriguez <laughs> uh, smacked in a couple of great goals, so maybe that will get things uh, get things moving in the market now. But yeah, last night Owen, I happened to catch. I mean, just on a on a mute television screen, uh, I saw some images which really puzzled me. I thought, why is that? Uh, why are those images being shown on television? And then it hit me, Owen. I understood exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what images? Do you think Brazilian television chose to illustrate their Germany versus France preview? Um, I would hope Thierry Henry's handball that cruelly denied Ireland a place at the World Cup in 2010. As it happens, no. Oh, and Thierry Henry did not make an appearance. Go on. Uh, Murph has a guess here. Uh, Tony Schumacher smacking into the uh, Batistan, breaking his teeth. No, I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you one more guess, but I'm going to give you a hint. Okay. Um, there weren't any footballers in the footage that they chose to illustrate. Germany versus France. And once again, that's Germany versus France. Uh, we're talking about... 1945. We're talking about maybe a little bit of a tiff that broke out around the world in the 40s. Uh, German troops marching down the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> the Nazi conquest of Paris, 1940. <laughs> the, French, the Parisians standing suddenly as their uh, jackbooted overlords stomped down the main thoroughfare of their, of their capital city. I mean, I suppose we're in South America, and, and maybe there's a sense in which those type of images don't really resonate in the same way. Uh, and, they, and they might be just some, you know, funny-looking colour to, uh, to illustrate a, a France versus Germany preview. Oh, but, listen, uh, yeah. stop overreacting. It was just a gentleman's disagreement a, la- a, la- a long number of years ago. <laughs> I mean, what are they going to do if, if Germany gets to get, play Brazil in the semifinal? I mean, it was just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, thought, I, I was surprised by it. But perhaps, look, that was... Uh, perhaps a hilarious infographic of uh, some Nazi war criminals living in the Amazon somewhere. <laughs> Well, that's actually that's what somebody uh, somebody suggested. Uh, I mean, uh, there was a, there was a thing actually about you know Jose Peckerman, the Colombian coach. Um, there's some kind of a, of a of a thing going around about him that he's related to Gregory Peck, right? Mm. Now he now he made reference to it at some point, but I think the point is that he was kind of joking about, oh yes, my relative Gregory Peck. <laughs> um, but I don't think Gregory Peck is actually his relative because. Um, uh, because apparently Peckerman has Ukrainian Jewish heritage. Someone was telling me uh, the other night, and Peck, uh, Gregory Peck has Irish uh, has um, Irish heritage. But uh, I don't know. Maybe it will be. Uh, you know, they'll show if it, if it is Colombia, it'll be uh, Gregory Peck in a white linen suit as Joseph Mengele, uh, looking over his, his test tubes in, uh, you know, beside the, the river in Paraguay. And you know, in this documentary footage, uh, Jose Peckerman's uh, cousin <laughs> is shown. You know, I, I, look, I don't know. It just seems to me that uh, there is a sort of a slightly anything-goes attitude to, um, 
to uh, what you can show on, on television in the name of uh, illustrating the background to a, to a football. Is the Mick Jagger stuff still going on? Have you seen any of this, Ken? Oh, Mick Jagger cursing everyone who he wants to win. Yeah, apparently this is, is, dates back to the 2010 World Cup when he, I think he might have tipped up somebody against Brazil and they lost. But uh, so far, yeah. He was. At, I remember I was at the I was at the USA Ghana game in that tournament and Mick Jagger was there. I saw Brazilian for, for the Stars and Stripes. Yeah, and I saw Brazilian supporters were picked out by the crowd with a, a poster saying something along the lines of Mick Jagger, you know, uh, please tip us up or tip up uh, the opposition. But um, pretty pointless yeah. point, Ken. To be honest, I want to ask you who's going to win that game. We're back to France. Yeah, France, France, Germany. Yeah. Well, I think France look. look <clears throat> France are the team that, that has impressed me more. And I'm interested to see that Joachim Love is now talking about loads of his players having flu. Uh, mm. it's like, it could partly be about air conditioning, the travel, the temperature differences. Yeah, I kind of like, well, do you want to think of any more? Is there any more excuses you'd like to, to, um, to put in there? You know, about being here, about being, being out here in. In uh, Brazil, maybe there maybe there are a few other excuses. I mean, I I just wouldn't want them to leave any out before the game, uh, before they actually go and play France. I mean, the the one thing I suppose that Germany are really hoping for is that France are the first really big team. I guess. Well, you know, they they, they have played Portugal, and that was their best performance. Um, maybe Portugal made it a, a little bit easy easy for them, and, and ultimately, as as their captain told us after uh, after it became apparent they weren't going to qualify, they're just not, not really a top side. They just don't have that many good players. I mean, their captain was trying his heart out, but the rest of the team just wasn't really top, top, top. So uh, Germany have got to hope that the the challenge of playing France is going to really get them going. But, you know, where's, their, where's the German defence? I mean, if Mats Hummels apparently is over the sickness, he may have been the, the original vector of this uh, pestilence that's that threatens to to um to put half the squad out of action uh, before the game he, he was the first man to come down with but also the first man to cover so he should be back and and he should help them out a little bit but i kind of just feel the french team looking through the the side there's a lot of power in it there's a lot of skill in it and you know the, i mean germany are going through this this whole 1982 um uh 1982 thing they they've beaten algeria now uh, reversing that result, but now they've got to play France. Uh, I mean, that's one of the most famous games in the history of the World Cup. Something I'm sure that the French will use. I mean, whenever these uh, these incidents are brought up to, to Joachim Love, he's, he always says, because the the, his, the historical incident, the historical World Cup incident, usually reflects badly on Germany. <laughs> Joachim Love always says, well, why would players who weren't even born when this game took place care about ancient history like that you know it's ridiculous we, should, we need to stop throwing history in people's faces um, but I'm sure Didier Deschamps is, I'm sure Didier Deschamps is making sure that his his boys all know about that you know in France there might be you remember that remember that guy I can't remember his name the the, the journalist crying when, when Ireland beat Romania the, the big GAA man you know the oh, really famous image Healy John hmm? Healy John Healy isn't John, he- John Healy and you know Maybe there could be a few John Healy's, a few John Healy's around there. Uh, <laughs> terrible, terrible. <laughs> Look, I'm really, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. It's, you gotta be, it's early in the morning here. It's really early in, in the morning here. You know, I'm, I'm a little, I've, I've, I, maybe I haven't woken up properly The yet, last quarterfinal yeah, I want to mention could be a few of them. is Holland against Costa Rica. This is a turkey. Murph almost feels there's no point playing this game. It's going to be so bad. Tell him why he's wrong. Well, I think, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a bad game. I just think it's going to be an easy win for Holland. 
I don't think Costa Rica are good enough to to stop them. I haven't, Holland are one of the teams I haven't seen yet, but Costa Rica uh, I did see against Greece, and they were they were actually good for the first half, and then they seemed to get a bit tired, and they're clearly. Well, well, the, the player who was really impressive was Brian Ruiz. And this is a game, I suppose, that he will fancy because he's up against defenders who he has <clears throat> routinely dominated in the, in the Dutch league. You know, so it's, it's, there, there is that sort of fact for, for Holland that they're up against a guy who, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite Luis Suarez against England, but, you know, he, that sort of familiarity. I think, I think Ruiz may play well. Then again, you know, Van Gaal has been doing... Has, has been coming up with, with plans for each game. I'm sure he knows all about Brian Ruiz as well. Um, and I suppose his experience with Fulham showed that for all his talent, maybe he's the kind of player whose head goes down a little bit when, when things are going against him. So, um, you know, I just think Holland are too good, really. Holland are too good for, for Costa Rica. So unless they've got a, an unfortunate injury, maybe at some point in the game, because you could see one of those guys up front when Percy Robin Snyder gets injured then you know, then then that does weaken them. But other than that, I think Holland are going to get to the semis. You mentioned Suarez there. It turns out that it doesn't turn out anything. It seems clear that he'll be on his way to Barcelona. They've held productive talks with Liverpool. Apparently, what's your take on that? Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like, uh, it, I suppose it all depends ultimately on the uh, on the release clause in, in Luis Suarez's contract. Remember when he signed that new contract uh, during last season? Um, you kind of wondered why, having a few months previously been so um, eager to leave, that he was doing interviews talking about how he was desperate to escape and even even was prepared to join Arsenal <clears throat> if it meant getting out of there. Um, then he signs a new contract a few months later. So you always thought, okay, well, the reason that he signed this contract is to uh, iron out that whole release clause uncertainty. And maybe it works well for both sides. Uh, you know, well, it protects Liverpool in terms of their financial valuation. And that they're going to get for him if, if he does go. And it protects Suarez in that if he does want to go and if someone wants to buy him, he definitely will be able to go. So it appears as though that process is in train now. Although, if the release clause is... is I, I don't see why Liverpool should sell him for anything less than the release clause. I mean, it seems as though, well, the player's reputation is in ruins. Uh, therefore, we should have a discount. It seems to be Barcelona's uh, approach. But, you know, if the player's reputation is in ruins, don't buy him. You know, if you want to, if you want to buy the player, clearly you don't care about the the damage to his reputation. So don't try and pretend that it is important to you, and that just cynically so you can try and get some money off. I mean, I I don't think this. I, I think it's an interesting. I mean, if, if you're if you're Luis Suarez, clearly it's a move that you're interested in making, right? I mean, if you're, I mean, I'll ask you the question directly. Alan. Imagine you were Luis Suarez. Mm-hmm. Would you be tempted by the prospect of going to Barcelona and playing with Lionel Messi? Lionel Messi? I'd be tempted, but I would be somewhat apprehensive given how many good players have gone over to Barcelona and how few have been able to star alongside Messi. That was maybe not the answer you're expecting, but there you go. Well, that is, I mean, that is true. That is, that is definitely true, but I don't think it's something as far as is thinking too hard about. I mean, you've, got, you've also got to, I suppose, take into account the role of his agent in all this. I mean, I remember um, when Gareth Bale's transfer to Real Madrid was being held up by Daniel Levy. Um, the, the screams of blue murder uh, coming from Garrett Bale's agent, um, who was about to <laughs> was about to miss out on a world record commission, <laughs> and uh, you know the you know they're they're destroying this kid's dream, you know. But the kid he, he the kid that he was talking about with such empathy was you, you suspect to be closer to home, you know. 
there was someone out there who had a dream that was about to dissolve if Levy wasn't prepared to let Bale go, and it wasn't just Bale. Now, in this case, as far as his agent, I'd say, would be quite keen. You know, he moves for £80 million. That's a big score, uh, a big, big score for the agent. But what you're saying, I think, is true, Owen. And, and I think Barcelona themselves are obviously a very different entity from what they were uh, under uh, Rijkaard and under Guardiola. This is a club which has all these problems on and off the field. I mean, somebody said to me last night, um, actually in, refer- in reference to, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know who originally came up with this, but someone pointed out this is a club who's supposedly banned from buying players, buying a player who's banned from playing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, their reputation has, has taken a bit of a nosedive, uh, not, not just in terms of, you know, the, the hypocrisy of their supposed more than a club moral stance being exposed by their, by their greed, you know, they're doing deals with Qatar, the, the whole corruption over the Neymar deal, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but also the, the clarity of their football thinking, you know, the, the, this, this idea of a team which was mostly coming up from the youth side uh, and all these players who understood the system uh, and a distinctive way of playing. And it's all kind of going out the window. It's like, oh, Suarez, he's good. Let's get him. You know, but we've already got Messi and Neymar. Who cares? You know, we could, we could always use another amazing player that is in a lot of ads. You know what I mean? So it doesn't really seem necessarily like a very well thought out move by Barcelona. I guess the important thing, though, is that Suarez is such a good player. They're just thinking, well, look, you know, this guy, we can put him in the team. He can play center forward. He can play right side. He can play left side. And he's good in all those positions. And, and I suppose, thinking back to what we were saying about Messi earlier, Suarez is a player who, who runs around a hell of a lot. And maybe then is a good compliment for our uh, minimalist, uh, uh, minimalist uh, star man. I'm going to ask you for a little bit of reaction to Roy Keane's first press conference as Aston Villa's assistant manager, Ken. He was in fairly combative form yesterday. Um, asking, he's been asked questions such as, are you taking a pay cut from, uh, your, with, in, in the Ireland job, given that... You won't have quite as much time to devote to it. None of your business was his reply to that one. A question was put to him, though. Uh, this maybe indicates the, the sort of tone that was struck during this um, during this press conference. This person asked him a couple of questions, and then he says, with regards to being a number two as opposed to being a number one, you know, that's all well and good, but you thought you'd be Brian Clough, surely, not Peter Taylor. No, I never thought about it. No, no, my, as a young kid, I was, it was always about playing. So it's just the way things have changed over the last few years. Even going into management, was never sure about it. Um... So I never, I never shut shut any doors on myself. That I said I've got to be the manager. I've got to be in. Uh, I'm going to be number two, or I'm going to work in an academy. No, I didn't think I'd do any TV games as a pundit, but I've done some of that. So I've never, uh, I never said, unless you unless you can put me straight that my only intention for the rest of my life was to be a football manager. Can you? No. <laughs> there you go turning the question around on the questioner Ken is usually quite an effective technique in press conferences I think certainly when you have the aura of Roy Keane yeah I mean <clears throat> I don't know I wonder will yeah I wonder, I'd love to see someone I'd love to see a rod squad about this you know please please will somebody I mean you never know if you ask maybe a behind-the-scenes documentary yes. of following Roy Keane in his two roles. Following Roy Keane, well, not necessarily just following Roy. I mean, I was thinking originally about Aston Villa, Paul Langer to Roy Keane, but yeah, why not? <laughs> why not in his two roles? <laughs> Sitting on the Ryanair over from Birmingham to, to London, you know, a 20 to 10 on a, 
fr- Friday night or whatever it is. Well, um, yeah. as he joins up with the international squad and, and just get just recording his thoughts. I mean, I think he could win an Oscar with this uh, with this material. Um, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I. I would have. I would have imagined that Roy Keane grew up wanting to be Batman rather than Robin, but. Uh, but well, he's a, he, said, maybe. yeah, he's a double Robin now. He's 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 Robin to two Batman, so maybe that's enough to become almost Batman and Superman, like a Batman. Yeah, I mean, Batman. Rob, well, Rob, Robin idea, and may, Superman never may, hang up. But... Yeah, Batman and Robin might be might be a, a badly chosen chosen one because there was never any sense, really, was there, that Robin was being groomed for the top role? Oh no, Robin was submissive in that relationship. Not about that. Much more of a Morris Setters type. Just happy to be there. He was a yeah. He was a. He was a career number two, Robin. Um, a Wally Dance you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, I th- he was. He was with Wally Dance. And I, I mean, I think maybe maybe the, the appropriate comparison is, you know, with the, with the old uh, chivalry, you know, where you'd have a squire mm. uh, who, who uh, you know, sure, he brushed the, the tail of the horse and he, he, he cleaned his master's armor and he, and he helped him to get dressed and made his breakfast. You know, reasonably demeaning tasks, I suppose. But the point was that one of those days he would sit. He would sit on that horse. He would order his squire around. He would be Sir, whatever his name is, and uh, and maybe that's maybe that's what's going to happen here. Sure, you know, there'll be a little bit of of helping out Paul Lambert, a little bit of passively passive aggressively disagreeing with his team choices, but saying no, no, no. Well, you are the manager. Let's, uh, you know, yeah. you are the manager after all. You know, I've never said I picked the team here. I never said that I, I would come into Aston Villa and start picking the team and, and, and taking over from the manager. You are the manager. You are entitled to, to make that. I don't agree with your choices, but I, you're entitled. You're entitled. And that he would, that he would one day, I don't know, take over, take over Paul Lambert's job. Is that where this is leading? No, I, that's not what I'm suggesting. But that he will, through this period of, not servitude exactly, but, uh, you know, of work alongside a managerial figure, that he too will evolve into one himself. Let's go out with a bang because this is a slot that you've all. This is a slot that some of you have been waiting. This is a slot. Let's do it. Ken Early's World Cup Crystal Ball. And that is why Maradona is the greatest player in the world. He buried the. Ken Early, what do you see? I see a bald man in a wine v-neck jumper and close-fitting chinos. I see a big square-shouldered blonde sweeping up in front of the back four, like Heidi sweeping the back step. <laughs> he's actually he's wearing he's wearing a Heidi outfit uh, and plots, but that may be simply an element of the vision. I see a a stubby, chain-smoking Frenchman with crafty eyes, wearing a number four. I see a ball of many colors that flies swift and true. I see a crafty a glance from upfield, a high, parabolic arc, a desperate, doomed scramble, three shattered reputations, and one world record boot deal. All right. <laughs> Can you interpret that vision for us, Ken? Kabaye. Kabaye, the, the Neuer killer. 
Um, <laughs> he, not, that he, not that I think Johan Kabay is going to kill uh, Manuel Neuer, or indeed that he chain smokes. I'm sure he didn't smoke at all. I mean, he's French. He may do. I mean, I just see him as one of those, uh, you know, one of those seedy characters in, the, in Rick's bar. Yohan uh, Kabai obviously hasn't bothered shaving or anything like that. But he, I'll tell you what he can do, Kieran, is he can certainly uh, whack a ball from his own half. Mm-hmm. And he's the kind of player, I think, who will have taken a lot of notice of Manuel Neuer's new uh, midfield role yeah. uh, for, for the Germany team. <laughs> and might, might be thinking to himself, you know what would be great now? If I could, in the Maracanã Stadium in Rio... Do what Pele did, nearly, nearly, nearly did in 1970 to this idiot, Nor, who keeps running around uh, 30 yards from his goal. Now, surely I've got to be able to hit the target from 50 yards. All I need to do is hit that target. And the ball here is pretty good. Everyone agrees that the, that the bazooka, nobody's been moaning about it, hasn't been a single complaint about it. It seems to go where you want it to go. So if the chance arises, then I think Yohan Kabay might, might, uh, might have a pop there. And then you've got poor old Pep. He'll be blamed. Poor old Yogi Love, who obviously left to walk the plank, and Manuel Neuer, who uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if his reputation will necessarily necessarily recover. Although he might be able to say, "Look, I was just um, uh, I was only following instructions from my manager." Uh, but Kabaye, I suppose, will on, on the other hand uh, be able to uh, do pretty well financially out of it. They'll make it. They'll make a boot for him, especially. Um, that's just the way corporate hegemony works. We've got more World Cup chat in our first show out today that uh, features US Murph on the Brave American Challenge and the impact there. We've also got a little bit of a preview of Kerry against Cork this weekend in the Munster Football Final and an exclusive interview with Cork and uh, one of Ireland's greatest ever athletes, Dervil O'Rourke, on her retirement. She came in and gave us an exclusive interview earlier on today. Uh, so it's well, well worth checking that out if you have a chance at any point. Listen, thank you very much over in Rio, Ken. Thank you, and I'm really looking forward to... Uh We're looking forward to going to that that big old stadium. Yeah, thank you, Karen. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Karen. And we'll talk to you again soon. What's going on? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 